you seekers, explorers and uh, renegades out there. This is the Alchemy Experience podcast and I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. As with last week's episode on visioning, we are today uh, simulcasting this episode with the You Are Amazing TV channel uh, that you will find on Best You TV or the Best You TV that you will be able to uh, find on Apple TV, Google Play, Amazon, Firestick, uh, and also the Best You TV um, app on iOS and Android. And as always, uh, we are honored to have Barbie Layton on as uh, a guest uh, on the panel today, and she is the uh, host and owner of you are amazing tv channel so in addition to barbie we are joined by another two panelists today uh, that i will introduce to you shortly but for uh, for now i'm going to introduce the uh, topic which is core wounding so we are having a discussion today about uh, you know what is core wounding where does it come from how does it affect our lives and uh, how can we work on resolving that within our lives. Core wounding can also be described as uh, original uh, trauma or original sensitizing event, Uh, but the core of it is that it is something that you've experienced in your life that has had a carry-on or domino effect on other aspects of your life. Oftentimes we're not aware of the source because it to an adult it might seem like a minor uh, event that you had when you were say six seven years old but in uh, to a six or seven year old and uh, the child's mind it was a major trauma and trauma is always uh, best viewed from the person who experienced it as opposed to comparing it from one's own experiences so my my trauma might, from my point of view, seem, or from my adult point of view, seem minor in terms of other others' trauma. But the impact it's had on my life, of course, is from that perspective. So we go through some of these uh, different aspects in this discussion. And before we uh, start this discussion, I just want to make sure that you understand that none of the content in this conversation is meant as mental or physical advice, medical advice. Uh, none of the sp- uh, speakers are medical professionals, and we recommend that you seek advice from your healthcare professional should you feel the need to do so. There are no warrants or guarantees offered as to the outcome of the practices offered. The results shared are from our own experiences and anecdotal evidence. Each speaker's opinions are their own and are not reflectant upon the others, nor any organization involved in the production and or distribution of this video. Looking forward to having you hear this and uh, I will join you on the other end. Enjoy. Welcome everybody. Today we are joined by Barbie Layton, Glenn Evans, and Carol Kosinski here at uh, the Arkham Experience podcast. And uh, we are live, or not live, but <laughs> we are broadcasting on uh, uh, Barbie's uh, Consciousness Corner TV channel on the Best You TV. So uh, Barbie, who's a uh, the host there is, uh, has graciously uh, decided to join us for this conversation on uh, 
um, yeah, the core wounding and how we work through that and, you know, the different techniques we use. So, um, and so as I said before, Barbie uh, uh, runs the uh, Consciousness Corner TV. She also is a transformational coach. And uh, what else, how would we uh, describe you, Barbie? Just me. <laughs> yeah, just you. That's, that's what we'd like to hear. Um, ca uh, California native, though. And uh, Glenn is uh, currently in Alaska, Alaska native, but uh, did earn his stripe in the, stripes in the uh, uh, Los Angeles foster care system. But he's back up in Alaska now, and he is a, a very successful uh, uh, HVAC engineer, I suppose you would call it, right? But uh, is transitioning into um, his purpose of helping men uh, deal with trauma and uh, tra transitioning from uh, a, tra a trauma place into a more purpose-driven uh, uh, path, if you like. And Carol uh, is a hypnotherapist and uh, is currently on the path to become a psychotherapist as well. So hypnopsychotherapist, and he's uh, got he's got his own practice that he's. Uh, working very well with and uh, is uh, yeah watch out for this one he's going to be famous <laughs> so welcome everybody and um, yeah today we're going to talk about core wounding now to me core wounding is uh, it's whatever it, essentially it's karma uh, to me so it's whatever we've experienced in our lives uh, depending on your belief system and your past lives that you bring forward or bring with you in your baggage, in your luggage, uh, up to the present moment, into your current experiences. Um, and it's essentially what drives kind of the, I suppose, the negative uh, program uh, that we put out into the world uh, as we kind of experience things and we get triggered and so forth. Um, so let's start off with that and just talk about how you look at core wounding. Uh, so why don't we start with you, Barbie? Well, I think that a lot of times we have these programs that, as Christopher was saying, that kind of come in from birth a lot of times. But I think, you know, a lot of the core woundings are things like fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, uh, fear of being kicked out of the tribe and other kinds of things that end up being survival mechanisms of where you need your parents initially because you depend on them completely. And I know that Dr. Gabor Bonte was talking about the fact that in the Western world, we tell parents that they should allow their babies to just keep crying and finally they'll just soothe themselves to sleep. And unfortunately, a lot of times that's not the accurate thing. It creates this, this trauma for the baby of where it's not getting what it needs. And so, I mean, it really, really does start at the beginning. And I wanted to, to read a quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross that I really resonated with. It says, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. So I thought that was such a beautiful quote for this conversation because ultimately 
most of the people that I know who go through personal growth transformations, they oftentimes have an original sensitizing event that creates the ability for them to go on a pathway that's the wounded healer's journey or the hero's journey where you need to go find that that heroic quest like the Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings. He's like, you know, Bilbo Baggins doesn't want to leave the Shire, but he has to. So those are the things that put us onto these things. But by the same token, they find their life so much more rich and so much more filled with all these beautiful opportunities. And they find all these amazing experiences along the way that had they just stayed in that little safe little Shire, they wouldn't have had the opportunity to be able to expand themselves into these beautiful things. And the fact that we're sitting here on this on this channel, the four of us talking on StreamYard and it's being broadcast around the world is a testament to the fact that all four of us have really, really taken those big steps to be able to find out what our, our purposes are and what our missions are, but through a lot of pain and through a lot of things where we have to transmute that pain into something else. So the, the, uh, in order to get there, we need to have an awareness of that core wounding and how it actually runs, how that program is running our life, right? Mm -hmm. So it's um, once we become aware that we can actually start writing that hero story as opposed to the victim story, right? Mm -hmm. Glenn, what do you think? Well, I agree with uh, what Barbie's saying is, uh, in my opinion, society is a really advanced propaganda machine that really propagates a lot of impossible dreams. You know, fashion magazines would be a good example. Um, men's magazines, you know, a lot of men struggle with, you know, having to have the men's manual of knowing how to change a tire or build a house or whatever it is. And, and all it does is just mess your opportunity to get to know yourself. You're always striving for these other identities. And a lot of us come to an exhausting conclusion that, um, that's a snare and realizing that snare was, was for me with the, my pivoting point of just, I, I just couldn't withstand it anymore. And so mm -hmm. coming to the conclusion that just living in your junk is hard and dealing with your junk is hard. So pick your heart. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. Love that quote or that, that, that choice rather. <laughs> yeah. Carol. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Barbie. Thank you very much, Glenn, because your uh, view on the core wounding is absolutely phenomenal. And there is no, this um, is you put the bar very, very high. So to me, when I think about the core wounding, um, it's well, I suppose what can I think that the core wounding is almost like signpost is this kind of exciting trigger because it's it, and it signposts you clearly that there is something that it's it's not coherent with you with your authentic cells and there is a clear symptom and a sign that you are in conflict with yourself we often find ourselves having the dialogue internal dialogue within ourselves but if What's the point of having the internal dialogue if ourselves are ourselves? There is no some, there is no one living in myself. It's only myself. So why am I having the conversation with me? And the core wounding, it's one of those signs. Like, why why am I in pain? Why my past have contributed? Why my past have given me something that is painful that brought this negative experience? So rather than look at this through the perspective that it's something that needs to be swept under the rug and ignored, why don't we take the approach saying, okay, that's interesting. Where does it come from? And when we look at this corroding through that perspective, that is the signpost that 
it's the message that wants to co communicate with me something. That is this journey that leads me to for journey to the self discovery. And yes, it won't be comfortable. It will be painful. But at the same time, like if you take the metaphor of going to the gym, if you go to the gym and have a physical exercise, or if you go for a run, it's painful. But you are doing that for personal growth. You maintain your physical uh, body and you keep your body healthy. And the same is with psyche. If something is painful, it's a great way to rediscover yourself and to go on that journey for self-authentication. So, Carol, in, in terms of that, you, you kind of venture into a very important aspect there, I think, uh, the, the questioning, right? Uh, so uh, it's a bit of a loaded question, I suppose, but uh, how do we work with... I mean, we look at society today and the vast majority of people are sleepwalking through life and they happily, in quotation mark, uh, exist within their, uh, with their core, core wounding without doing anything about it. Um, a, why do we do that? And B, how do we, uh, you know, on a personal basis, how can we help others uh, come, uh, take the first step, as it were, uh, towards healing their core wounding or being aware of it. I suppose the most important thing that we can do is to encourage questioning and encourage people to question themselves because all of the thoughts and all of the emotions that we have or experience are, and, and our responses to those thoughts and experiences is our choice. And when we become very attached to specific concepts, then when the problem is, or the problem starts. So at the moment, we can see it in the many dimensions of, of our life, whether it is political or or religious or any aspects, really. You know, you can, you can have people that are despising each other or having even like almost disgusting feelings towards other human beings only because they are in disagreement with others. Mm -hmm. So the, I suppose, what we need to focus really is on building compassion and gratitude and realizing that other people, the same as me, I have my consciousness and I've got the content of my consciousness and I have the right to pursue my happiness and desire for the, pursue the best quality of life. The same as me, other people are on this planet, they have exactly the same right to be happy, to enjoy their life. And I don't need to disagree with you. I don't need to agree with Barbie. But if we, or in fact, I don't need to agree with Glenn. But when we have that mutual understanding and respect to each other, then we can agree that we disagree. And it's okay to respect ourselves. And in fact, the disagreement very often is the source for changing your mind and changing. Uh, improving yourself. If you are all the time living in the cocoon that everyone is saying, yeah, you're right all the time, then you're never going to have the exposure to different ideas. It will ne You will never gain the opportunity to learn something new. And when, you com when it comes to learning, whether you are learning new skill, like whether you're learning a uh, new language or playing instrument or developing physical uh, athleticism, it's a uh, it's all about the pushing boundaries. It's stepping out of your comfort zone. And the same with, like, with the growth of your psyche. You need to feel this uncomfortable and disagreement feels this uncomfortable, but very often it's the only one way 
to become better versions of yourself. So don't be afraid of disagreement. Don't be afraid of pain. Well, and it, so it's a, it's a matter of showing up as uh, role models in every situation and taking responsibility for ourselves, right? Uh, but now people are very keen on holding on to their stories, right? They, they, they fight tooth and nail to hold on to their stories. So uh, whether it being disputes whether uh, between uh, because of religion, nationality, politics, whatever it may be, uh, people are tend to want to put the problem outside of themselves. So it exists in the external world. It doesn't exist within ourselves uh, because that we, we experience ourselves in the external world, right? So we, uh, so it has to be a problem outside, not the inside. So how do we, how do we essentially help people to take a step on, on saying, well, yes, it might be the external, but it might be internal as well. How do we uh, help them take that step? What, what are your thoughts on that, Barbie? Well, I think a lot of times it's the fact that you have to be the person that's gone through the journey yourself too. You've had to be the person that's willing to go do the deep dive yourself that you can show the other person that, look, I did this and I was willing to look through my inventory of pain and different things that I've experienced. And I saw this beautiful you know, interview last week during the Wisdom of Trauma uh, premiere that was really amazing. And Sia, the world famous singer, was talking about the fact that even though she was so successful and she had nine Grammy you know, nominations, she'd written all these beautiful songs for people. She said that she just kept hearing this internal dialogue of fat, lazy, die, fat, lazy, die, fat, lazy, die. So she just had heard that over and over and over again. And she took it back to attachment theory. And it's like, ultimately, I think so many of the things that we have externally, we're looking to soothe ourselves. We want to be soothed in some sort of way. So people become, you know, they have compulsive behaviors, they become addicted to things, they they attach themselves to things that they know that aren't good for them, but they're just looking for something to be able to make the pain go away. And ultimately the pain goes away by, by, by self-loving yourself and allowing yourself to be loved by other people. Because if you can't do that, and you're just literally walking around like this numb wound all the time, where you're completely shut down and you're just sleepwalking, et cetera, you just keep on finding things to occupy your time as opposed to living. And I think that's the part too about, you know, love is the most powerful emotion, is the most powerful creative force in the entire universe. There's nothing more more powerful than that. I mean, you see, you see mothers who see their babies under a car and they literally can lift up the car because of the fact that love for that child is so strong that they're gonna go lift that car even though technically that's impossible. And so that's the part too in the sense of where when you find yourself at a place I mean, I know that since we've been looking at poor ones just for the last few weeks or so, it's like, I know a lot of my stuff is basically really, really surfaced. And, you know, even, you know, yesterday I had a really, really deep share and it made me after the fact, it made me feel very self-conscious because it made me want to retreat back into myself. Like, oh, you know, I just shared something that was so deep and personal and it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. but by the same token, I was really well received and I felt cared for and nurtured and supported and loved by being able to share that. But by the same token, it was one of those things of where it's like, we're always afraid that our deepest, darkest secrets of the things that have happened to us, et cetera, are gonna be the things that people hold against us or judge us for. And instead, sometimes it's still, you know, the reflection that I got was that this is something that had made me really, really strong. So yeah. those are the things too about where it, it's, it's looking into that other space, but being able to, you know, 
especially, I mean, my master's degree was in psychology and I've worked in a lot of things of assisting different people for the last couple of decades to be able to become the best versions of themselves. But a lot of times it's just literally that people have that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They need to be seen, heard, loved, and accepted. Those are the four things that they need to have. And if you literally don't acknowledge them and you don't say anything and you just li literally let these people just kind of walk around without feeling like they make any kind of a difference, sometimes just a hi, how are you? Looking someone in the eye is like the biggest thing that you can give. I mean, I thought to myself during the pandemic, all those, you know, greeters at Walmart, when everyone's freaking out, there's no toilet paper and nothing is on the shelves. That person that's like, hi, thanks for coming, you know, walking in the door. I mean, that greeter might have been the most important person that person talked to all day long because they were so stressed out about everything that was happening. So it's that whole thing. And I know you're really good about this, Christopher, about talking about showing up as role models. So showing up as role models, we're talking about something that's very, very deep and personal right now. I don't know how many talks are being held out there on poor wounding because it's really really a sensitive thing that a lot of people don't want to plumb those kind of depths but we could literally transform the prison population we could transform you know societies we could transform governments you can transform all sorts of things by looking at some of these things that were literally it, it's it's like this virus this program that's literally walking and running you but when you address your core wound and you literally allow yourself to be exposed and vulnerable in that sense you come into a new energetic frequency and then you allow yourself to be seen in a completely different way so by being able to be open and vulnerable you give other people permission to be themselves as well and then we all literally start to relax and not having this construct like glenn was talking about a feeling like somehow you know you have to look like this and if you're a dude you have to be ripped and have this kind of a you know body type and if you're a woman you have to have that i mean you know even when you look at that kind of stuff it's like we only have one body and that body, you know, the fashion trends change from from decade to decade, and you still have the same body. So you, you, you one one decade your body might be in style, and another decade your body's out of style, but it's still your body. And you're not going to be like, oh, I hate you because you're not a 1970s body. You're not a 1990s heroin chic body. It's just, you know, and that was something I talked to with Rachel Pringle. You know, she was a fit model back in those days, and said in the 90s that she said she wishes that she had been a model during the Cindy Crawford days because she would have been perfect. But they wanted Kate Moss, who was like, you know, heroin chic and you know basically had no no meat on our bones so it's like it's those kind of things that were and i think it's also important to the internal external it's not about the comparison it's not always comparing yourself and putting yourself in this hierarchical thing if you're just you then you show up being completely just you you allow other people to be just them too and you're not always sizing other people up because i think that's part of the detriment too of where that core winding comes in because you're constantly hitting up against it so you know my journey started uh basically uh, from a hitting rock bottom as it were uh, where you know your identity is ripped from you uh, from one day to the next yeah. so uh, i found even though it's utterly painful to go through uh, it was necessary in my case to have that done uh, for me so that i could take a step out and start working on these core woundings that most of them I thought I actually had dealt with. Um, but lo and behold, uh, there they were, staring me right in the face, right? So, Glenn, do you think that, uh, that in order to take that step that we need to hit rock bottom? Or is there some, or is there some other way that we can help people to, people that aren't necessarily looking at taking that step, how can we help them? Well, I think that's such a good question. And I appreciate the urgency that Barbie really sees in the need that that society really does have. And seeing that need comes from doing your journey, right? And 
And so for me, I, I made my own journey. And in that, in that journey, I just really felt alone. I really felt um, like I couldn't relate to anybody. And so I, I was really strapped to find a way to navigate that. Like, how am I going to have the conversations that I want to have? And so then I started developing this pattern of doing bold vulnerability. And I work in the trades and I work with tradesmen. And um, what I would do during conversations as we were just kind of shooting the breeze, just be a little vulnerable, share something that, you know, I'm really working on this personal journey or, you know, have you ever tried meditating or maybe even share something that I'm actively working on, like redefining myself. And I've gotten people to, they've just turned their back and started a conversation with somebody else. That's been an experience a couple of times, but you know what? Most of the time, I'm happy to say that hasn't been the case. Most of the time, when I'm willing to step a little bit deeper in the water, most of the time people join me. And part of that came from, like everyone here is saying, doing your work. And for me, the fundamental foundation that I had to create for myself was becoming a safe place to heal. And just like Christopher, you lean on this really hard is compassion. And Barbie, you were stating it earlier as well. And I had to redefine what love was for myself. And that was the reciprocation of compassion to yourself and others. And for me, having a compassionate eye uh, was really what I needed in order to be honest with, with my stuff, to be honest with that uh, I needed a change. And, and everyone feels it. And I think everyone here recognizes that, that there's something inside of you that pulls. And for me, you know, growing up through my trauma, um, I would hang on to these quotes from this quote book. And, and I love it that everyone's bringing up their favorite quotes, but it, it was just so outside of my realm of, of reality that these guys were writing about love, like not even like just kind of generic love, but like really, really intense stuff. And I, I just thought, well, hell, you know, if this is even partially true, it has to exist. Otherwise they couldn't write about it. And that's where I threw my anchor out somewhere out there. I didn't know where it was. And that kind of became this loose guidepost um, of a lot of years of living in survival mode. And I think that's what Christopher you're talking about is how people are walking around numb. They don't know. And for me, the pattern of my downfall to come back to your question was doing all the things I thought was success, right? What everyone neglects to tell you is a, it's not fulfilling all the time. And, and this guy, Gerard Adams, when he interviews inner city kids about becoming entrepreneurs, one of the things he asked them right off the bat, what are your dreams? And if they start saying stuff like, oh, Lamborghini mansion, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you're not ready. And they're just shocked. And he's like, well, why would you say that? He's like, those aren't your dreams. Those are dreams someone else gave you, man. If you were to say, I'm really looking forward to buying it my auntie a new lawnmower and, and, and fixing up her backyard. And, you know, then I know you're connected to yourself and to the people that made a difference in your life. And that, that really hit me hard. You know, that really hit, sat me down and made me think, well, what is, what is my dream? And so for me, that was a bit of a Ken show, like you're saying, like hitting rock bottom moment in some respects, but is it the train wreck that life could be right? Like, getting hit by a vehicle or, you know, um, here in Alaska, you can hit moose and things like that. So it brings, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It brings things to a screeching halt. So there, and then there's another way to grow, which is, you know, through the path of doing ceremonial processes, whether you, it's through various natural 
exercises, breathing, meditation, this whole sequence of, um, you know, cold therapy, various things like that, or even utilizing natural uh, hallucinogenics. And that's another way to connect to, to the universe. And you hear people come back, um, and I try to tap into this whenever I can, when I'm feeling anxious. When they come back from those experiences, every single one of them says, I don't even know why I worry about anything. I don't why do I even worry about anything? Like they're just at a loss of words because of how majestic it is. So I think it can be either or, but I think life really provides because it loves you so much, a mixture of both. And I think that's a well-lived life. Well, I think you, you contrasted very nicely there when it's not going out telling people or giving people suggestions, like telling people what to do, right? It's so you show up as a role model and share your story. And that is the catalyst for others to look at themselves and say, hmm, I wonder how this feels within me. And just asking questions to yourself in conversation with others to say, you know what, I asked myself, how, you know, how, how was this process for me? Because then people will look at that and go, hmm, what does it mean by process? And then you start a conversation, right? And that's the, the whole process of showing up as being uh, role models. And uh, all my clients I uh, work with, before I start working with them, I send them a, um, a document with basically two pages of questions in different uh, areas of their lives. Um, and I ask them to just reflect on those questions before the first meeting. And usually that starts the process for them. Uh, and they can just with that those questions that because I found in a way that if you ask your mind a question, it's compelled to give you an answer, right? And it's where does that answer come from is a different matter, but you know it, it starts the process, right? And uh, you know the only way we're going to change society is if we each and every one of us sh show up as the change we want to uh, want to see in society because society is us without us there's no society right so once we've taken that step and we are in the process of now uh, asking ourselves questions we are more aware of ourselves uh, what are some of the uh, uh, techniques and tools and processes that, that you would recommend using carol well, thank you very much this is an excellent question so i suppose different people will have different techniques will be resonating with different people mm -hmm. so talking from my experience what really works for me is broad range of meditations so i do meditate on frequent basis i at least an hour a day that's kind of the minimum that i'm trying to adhere to which enables me to keep that momentum and happiness going and the kind of the quality of life and really um realizing that i'm not my thoughts i'm not my emotions they are simple kind of content of my consciousness but i am not um i suppose i use various different techniques of meditation and uh one of the uh really powerful type of meditation and i think this relates really well to what glenn was saying and 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 to the point that you made christopher earlier on about that hitting rock bottom is the stoic meditation mm -hmm. so realizing or um thinking 
about the worst case scenarios, like what would happen like if I didn't exist? What, what would happen? Like how would the world can I imagine not existing? Can I imagine that I cease to exist? Can I imagine something really terrible is happening to me? So it's I it works as if it was a vaccination for your psyche. So you are putting a little bit of that virus into your mind within a very controlled way and very controlled quality quantity. And when something really hard happens to you, then you've got that immune system going on. And if, if you you can say, okay, I can deal with it. Well, you've resourced so, yourself. You've uh, prepared yourself for that. Um, absolutely. You've kind of experienced it already. And you, in order to experience the good, you have to experience the bad, the, the kind of contrast, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another thing that, or a couple of things that I feel that are extremely useful, it's anything that enables you to switch off temporary prefrontal cortex. Because of course, we our brain is massive and super expensive machine. And if we don't, and it consumes a lot of energy and because the way we exist in this planet because of the our biology, the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision making, for our cognitive ability, abilities, and which, frankly, has contributed to the great success in science and technology that we enjoy in 21st century. It is a source of immense amount of problems because it can provide us with immense amount of trouble, uh, troubling thoughts. So anything that can switch off temporary prefrontal cortex or um, kind of numb this is good. And for example, physical exercise works very well. If you go for a run and run 10K, push your physical boundaries a little bit, then your body after basically the, the basic mechanics is like your body realizes that you're running. It realizes that it needs to uh, put the energy into your physical body. So therefore, the expenditure of your energy is going into your physical body, into different areas of your body, and it's taken from the prefrontal cortex. So all of the thought processes that you have are essential for kind of survival, and you don't have time for <laughs> nonsense, if you like. So you don't have the time for those troubling emotions or troubling, troubling thoughts. Art is, again, this beautiful ways of expression because as uh, many philosophers have said that very often limitations of our words are, word are limitations of our language. So any, any experience or anything that can um, take you out of kind of language experience, which is art, or what Glenn was saying about like psychedelic experience, it's or meditation, can really help us ground. Um, and cold therapy, breathing exercises, there is multiple, multiple different learning, uh, different uh, strategies, learning new skills. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole pl plural of things and um, that, that people can use. So, but the most important thing is just try to find the thing that works for you. Because the fact that something that does work for me and I enjoy doing, it doesn't mean that it's gonna work for anyone else. And try to find your way and try to align this and make it effortless. So if you can, it, it, it sounds a little bit paradoxical, but if you can make effort feel effortless, 
then you are on the key to success because if you are enjoy what you are doing you will be able to sustain that over a long period of time so for example i can say do go and meditate and someone might absolutely don't take any pleasure in meditation then it won't work and with the meditation meditation is very similar again i'm going to use the metaphor of um of physical body if you take shower once a month then your body gonna sting and you have to shower every day same with meditation in order to have the long-term effect and impact on you you have to meditate every day but if you don't enjoy meditation if you're pushing yourself to do it then well maybe try something different maybe art is good for you maybe music is good for you maybe running is good for you try different things so what you uh, really the the uh, overarching uh technique that you use is to try to be in the uh, present moment in your body as much as possible. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So one thing I uh, I work with my clients again, when I first start working with them, and oftentimes I ask, do you meditate or do you have a meditation practice? And they're like, no, I don't know how to do it. I don't think I can do it, etc., etc. So uh, the question I throw back is like, well, you can breathe, can't you? And most of the time they say yes um, and the fact of the matter is when you wake up swing your legs over the side of your bed put your feet on the ground just put your hands on your chest and breathe close your eyes mm. and breathe and within 30 seconds you're going to be present in your body and you're going to be in that meditative state uh, and it's it's really effective because you don't put any um, put any burden on yourself or any achievements, uh, anxiety, right? It's just breathing, just sitting there breathing for 30 seconds. That's it. And then you're done. And you start out with that. And then once you start feeling the presence within yourself, then, then you go, Oh, what happens if I sit for three minutes? Right. And then you, you, you push the boundaries. Um, so that's, that's a technique that I've used uh, quite effectively. Um, what I try to do is I try to boil down things to more of uh, simplicity. Because life, if you try to deal with the external world as the external world, it is far too complex. Unfortunately, even though we, we have great brain uh, capacity, uh, it's not quite to the level where we can deal with the complexities of life uh, as it comes in. So it's bringing it down to just simple facts of life kind of thing that, you know, what can you control? Your thoughts, your words, your actions. Now, most, a lot of people will, when they realize that those are the only three things that you can control, it kind of makes them a little angry because they, they're fighting the, their whole lives to control their external environment and everything around them to get what they want. But in actual fact, the only way you're going to get what you want is to release the yearning for control and to realize what you can control. And to when you when you get to understand that, then you release that uh, expectation on yourself as well. And it, it actually becomes much easier because it's like, oh, I don't have to run around and try and control all of this. I can just focus on my words, my thoughts, my actions. Well, that's easy, right? So 
I, I always look at life uh, in terms of a string of experiences. So you have consciousness enters the cluster of cells in the womb, and from there, then life starts. And then anything beyond that is just a series of experiences. So food coming through the, um, uh, what's it called? The, uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you're in the womb, you're having an experience in the womb. And umbilical cord. Thank you, umbilical cord. <laughs> Apparently, I, I was a, the only one stumped on that one. <laughs> um, and you, you go through the birth canal. That's another experience. So your birth actually happens way before you go through the birth canal. Whenever that consciousness enters, uh, that I don't know. Right? My memory is still stretched that far back. Um, but it is an experience that exists in our subconscious. So if we wanted to, and actually through hypnosis, you can access those experiences. Um, and then you go through life and their experience after experience after experience until uh, one day your consciousness leaves the body and that's the end. So that's kind of how I, it kind of seems that life is a little boring that way. But then you bring all these impermanent aspects into every experience and that's when things become exciting. Because now you bring this, uh, it's like creating a, um, uh, you're on stage in the theater, right? And the, the theater or the stage is completely empty. Now you bring in a sofa, you bring in some other people, you bring in a bar, you, you bring in some you know, alcohol, whatever. <laughs> and that creates then the experience. So what's the experience there for? In my belief, it's therefore teaching us something about ourselves. Now, most of us, before we become conscious of the fact that we can actually work on ourselves, we look at experiences as learning something about others. And when you are in that state, you, you say, oh, I can't trust that person because they cheated me at that time. And if someone behaves like that, I can't trust them. But that's not actually what's there, what the experience is there for. It's there to teach you about how you react to that particular experience of that person cheating you. And then how you develop from there. So, uh, Glenn, you know, what, how, how have you worked with these different aspects of your experiences? Well, so I'm, I'm coming from like a really different angle on the, on things. So from a trauma standpoint, one of the things that I had to do just meditation was really, um, this is a bit, um, yeah, this is a bit vulnerable. It was, it was, a little bit uncom it was uncomfortable for me. It was very uncomfortable, in fact. And so what I needed to do is I would just ha have my dog next to me and I would rest my hand on my dog. And then I would start to like go into to the meditation and listen to the guided meditations that are available online. And, you know, just to deal with um, just living with trauma, you don't realize how much of that you just carry forward into all of your experiences. And so it was really a, literally a second by second self-talk for this second everything's okay. Cause like Christopher, you were talking about that, those moments of letting go of control coming out of trauma, your survival tactics got you to today and, mm -hmm. and they're trusted and they're tried and true, but guess what? You end up hurting yourself and or others with that method. And they usually leave you with regret and shame and, and there's a lot of other drawbacks. And so trying to convince somebody to, to let go of those survival tactics is a pretty big ask. Right. And so for me, 
it was really a transition of really recognizing that the universe is benevolent, that it isn't like this thing that's, you know, the victim mentality that is indoctrinated into us in so many formats. It's ridiculous. And it makes us very good consumers of numbing agents and pick your flavor. There's tons of them and they're all for sale. And there's a celebrity on a label somewhere. Right. And not to say that that's, you know, all that uh, celebrities do because there's a lot of good work being done out there. But at the same time, we're stuck in that, that blinding, belief system that we just don't know exists. And so coming out of that for me was this incremental change. And so then it was these little everyday things of changing my viewpoint and looking at things and saying, oh, this is this is working to my benefit. And so my perspective on helping people go from trauma, from survival mode to thrival mode is really looking at your toolbox and saying, look, you are resilient as all get out. Look at what you've been through. And just teasing out the, the all those tools and saying, yeah, the crescent wrench, it will work as a hammer. It definitely will. <laughs> but hammer does such a better job. And the crescent wrench actually is totally used for something way cooler. And so as you start helping people see those tools can be repurposed in a way that um, serves them and benefits them, suddenly they start learning how to like themselves and love themselves. And for me, it was like, a, that was the bulk of my road was getting to that point. It wasn't anything cranial. It was, it was really that tepid, you know, like you see animals on the savannah, like, Hey, there's a water hole. I'm really thirsty. I'm dying of thirst. And everyone's saying this is a great water hole, but guess what? From your trauma standpoint, you're like, there's alligators and there's tigers and there's lions. There's so much crazy stuff around the water hole, but that's not always the case. And, and, and we got to let go of that and letting go of that takes courage and nobody tells you the amount of courage it takes. And I think that's something that our, our society could, and our group is doing a very good job, but our society could do it as all a favor by exemplifying that and just really, really applauding that and, and bringing that forward as a, as a mark of a badge of honor for people to say, man, that, that person, she went through some tough stuff and, just really bringing that forward so other people can um, draw from that courage, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it's the, the empowerment and you know, coming down to that waterhole. Yes, there might be alligators, but you do still need to drink. And there are going to be these alligators and lions and what have you out there. Um, so it, we can't let that stop us from living our lives, right? Correct. So I, I see these accoutrements, if you like, around every experience as impermanent. So it, whatever ex, or relationships or, uh, ex, uh, you know, whatever is there to support my uh, experiencing myself in the experience are impermanent. The only thing that's permanent is the experience and what I take away from it. Uh, or that's even even the takeaway is impermanent because I can change it. I can reframe it, right? So things or my traumas that I've experienced as a child, for example, when I work on the core wounding, I can go back and reframe that from a different perspective. So it's it's how we look at and how we view our experiences and what we take away from them that rather than saying, Oh, I was abandoned at three and a half years old. Instead of saying, "Oh, therefore I can't 
nobody loves me, I can say, well, actually, I gained a lot of independence from that. I gained a lot of resilience from that. Like you were saying, we have come this far and we've, we're still in the game. So we must have done something right, right? Absolutely. So, uh, and, yeah. and, and what you're alluding to, I think, is the win that each of us looks for. And when you, Christopher, when you first invited us to this, I really was trying to figure out what was that moment for me? And, and trying to find words for it, I was just, I just couldn't come across any. And what came to me was this quote from a book called Further Thoughts About Wabi Sabi by Leonard Cohen. And it describes this happening and it says, Wabi Sabi happens when conditioned and habituated ways of looking at things fall away. When things are defamiliarized, the beauty of Wabi Sabi involves perceiving something extraordinary in something that might otherwise be regarded as quite ordinary, undistinguished, or barely there. And for people who've gone through any kind of trauma, being barely there is a safe, safe, safe place. And coaxing someone outside of that, it takes a lot of courage. And what, you know, that happening that we all look forward, you know, for coaching and just being there and doing our own work is that moment when somebody sees the beauty in their journey and the beauty in their trials and the beauty of their resiliency. There's just nothing better than that. And, and that's the win, I think, that, that we're all shooting for, is just seeing that. Well, thank you, Glenn. And the concept of uh, wabi-sabi, you said it was? Yeah, it's a yeah. Japanese philosophy that I, I had to use for myself, which is ordinary things were viewed as you know undistinguished and, and very ornate things were given a lot of high quality. But if they looked at these cups made by these farmers that the samurais would go to the tea houses, the guy who was really digging into this is like, look at these cups. They're they're really rugged. The farmer made them with his own hand. If you look closely, you can see his thumbprints, his rugged hands, all of the calluses and everything. And and that is where the beauty lies in yeah. that, that aspect of it. It's really diving in to take time to see it. And I think that's what a lot of us don't have the courage to do. Like it's the same uh, process of uh, when they mend uh, broken uh, pottery in Japan, they paint it with the uh, gold, right? Kintsugi, uh, yeah. To highlight and beautify the, uh, uh, not to hide the scars, but to show them as part, parts, they, they tell the story, don't they? Uh, mm -hmm. and the, so again, it, it is how we, re, how we frame our experiences so that piece of pottery can actually show off its scars as being part, being beautiful. And now the, the, the cup has become something uh, different in terms of the styling, right? So it is quite beautiful in that respect. Um, so Barbie, I know one of your really uh, passion projects is about sharing love and bring uh, having people understand that they can love themselves, right? Uh, and I know that's certainly been a struggle for me, and I, uh, I think that is a part of the journey for all of us because it has to start with ourselves. Now, what are some of the steps that people can do once they start going down this path to actually believe that they can love themselves? Well, I think that it's it's to flip it out, out and make it external. So like the way that you were talking about, the fact that you observe it and then you do your takeaways and then you reframe it, that, that 
I honor that process, but to me, that's very clinical. And I, I try to look at things more from, I want to feel something. I want to feel, they say that the, you know, the pathway from the, the, the mind to the heart is the longest journey. It's like, I can intellectualize anything. I will tell you a story about everything, et cetera, et cetera, but feeling it and actually getting into my heart space and actually feeling it and allowing myself to be vulnerable in that space, that is the hardest part because I want to feel alive. Those experiences that you were referring to that go from birth to death, we want to have those experiences where it's like, yes, in this moment, I'm completely 100% in my body. I'm completely alive. I'm completely aligned. And those are those amazing things. Like that's why people go to amusement parks, you go to roller coasters and they jump out of bungee, you know, off of bridges to do bungee jumps. It's like, you get that intense and you don't have to be an extreme adrenaline cortisol junkie like that either, but it's still, we, we do these things so we can feel alive. Cause like what Glenn was referring to, people have trauma that they're ba barely there. It's easy. Like someone who's on the streets, who's living outside on a sidewalk, having them shoot up drugs because of the fact that they know that they've basically been tossed aside by society. That's the way that they can get by every single day. So therefore there's a compassion of knowing that this is their life, that they're wearing their trauma every single day. And what I did in 2019, that was a big cathartic year for me because I just thought to myself, I can't keep living like this any longer. I had a chronic illness that was just totally like, you know, kicking my butt. I was having all these different things that were happening. And all I just kept hearing in my mind was like, you know, unwanted, rejected, unloved, unwanted, rejected, unloved. This just over and over and again. And then I, I found Lifebook in uh, in 2019, in September, and I started a Mind Valley journey. And like what, you know, you guys were talking about. I mean, Glenn, you were saying about the minute by minute. It's like, I did the same thing. I was like, you know what? If I can make it to the next hour, I'm good. And then I can make it to the next hour and I can make it to the next hour. And unfortunately in my life, I've had a lot of trauma and, and it's just not one single sensitizing event. It's like years and years and years of it uh, systemically. I mean, I, in some ways I have to, you know, give myself credit that a lot of my, my journey has been miraculous in some ways and I'm not, I haven't been dead, you know, before, but by the same token, it's still, I started to look at the concept of where we have the golden rule, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to instead, I like the platinum rule, which is treat others the way they want to be treated. So what I did is I made a concerted effort of where I started doing this, this system of where Carl, Carl Rogers, the person-centered therapy, he, he talks about heart-centered, you know, like therapy. And that's what I want to focus on. Heart-centered therapy, person-centered therapy, in the sense of where you, you recognize the divinity in every single person. When you say namaste to somebody, you say, I'm the soul in me recognizes the soul in you. So every single person that I encountered, I made it a concerted effort that no matter how much pain I was in, I wanted to reach out to be able to make that connection with other people. So in my workspaces, et cetera, I did what I call extreme prizing. I did all these different things to say, wow, look what you're doing look at you're capable of there is no shortage of compliments etc there's no shortage of love it's literally limitless in the sense of where we don't have to put ourselves on a diet with that kind of stuff we can literally just continue to give and give and give and what i found was that the way that people were receiving me back was completely different it was this whole wanting to share in the experience because there was something happy about the fact that it was just like hey how are you i like your shoes or i like your hair or, you know oh that's a nice purse or whatever else it's just literally I, it was me forcing myself to get out of my own you know, like isolation to be able to reach out to other people and continuously to say that that's the bold vulnerability you were talking about Glenn as well. And what I found was that it transformed the way the groups that I was working with were. It's like coming from, you know, people who are completely shy, they didn't talk. Then the next thing you know, they're social and they're doing all these things. And they're accomplishing all these different things because to me, the prizing is the most important thing. And initially it's so unfamiliar for people because a lot of people, they don't like compliments. Like a lot of people don't like compliments or people don't like giving them because they think you're going to get a big head. Or, I mean, we have all these things culturally about how we, we give compliments or not. And, and, you know, all over the world, there's different standards of how you do that. But to me, it's like, 
if there's not there's an unlimited amount of love that I'm I'm able to share with other people, then it's also allowing that to come back to me too. Because because of that trauma, I've had the difficulty being able to receive it back because of the mm -hmm. fact that that's something where it's like I can give and give and give and give, but receiving it back is completely different. So with the core wounding being basically activated and releasing, then all of a sudden you're completely now in a different space, and it's it's somewhat uncomfortable. I'm mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's somewhat uncomfortable when you're exposed and raw and vulnerable, and you know all of a sudden all these you know safety and coping mechanisms you used to have that kept you safe, like those survival skills you're talking about, Glenn, all of a sudden those things are gone and you realize that they served a purpose and you can thank them, be grateful for them. But moving into this new space is going to create so many more opportunities, so many beautiful things. And that's to me where the, the prizing part of it is, is just so important. And so as a result, you know, just showing up in my full radiance and my full being and my full power and, and really, really resonating with that it just, I mean, you know, people are always surprised at all these amazing experiences that I have where they don't have the same experience at the same place because they didn't show up as themselves, you know, and, and this whole thing about on our devices all the time with our hoodies and our, our earbuds in, and, you know, it's like, we're not paying attention. We're completely, totally in our own little bubbles all over the place. I mean, even Starbucks, I don't know if you guys saw the last few years or so, it's been like 50 people who are all alone in a room together and they're not talking. And you're just like, what is this? This is not society. This is not connection. And I think that after we come out of the pandemic, we're not doing all this virtual stuff anymore. It's really great that we're doing virtual stuff, but it can't be the substitution for connection. It cannot be the substitution for human interaction and actually being able to like hug each other and how are you and nice to see you. And, and that's the part about where it's like, because my message is about falling in love with yourself and reanimating your dreams and becoming the VIP of your own life. Those were three things that I had to start doing for myself as well, because I realized that if I don't love myself, I can't let somebody else love me too. So, so that's one of the most important parts with all of this kind of stuff. And it's scary. It's totally scary because we have all these defenses because if we have an abandonment trigger, et cetera, et cetera, then we start to do things basically say, and then the person abandons you and you're like, see, everybody abandons me because you just continue perpetuating this because you keep doing all this stupid stuff. And it's like, if we just stop some of these things and we're a little bit more, you know, in our heart center and saying like, okay, this feels uncomfortable, but now I'm, in, now I need to express that this is how I'm feeling. Or, and I know, you know, we've talked a lot in the podcast about spiritual bypass. We have to process and sit with the emotion in, in the in the moment. And what I found, even with internet and with emails and things like that, we get into this mode of where it's like, I'm gonna do my work, send, do my work, send, doing my work, send. And I know Christopher, you and I have talked about this being like negative pong. It's like just negative, 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 negative. But like for me instead, when I send an email, especially to somebody that I care about, et cetera, I do a whole creation bubble type of an idea. I think I think loving thoughts about the person receiving it, the loving thoughts that I'm sending to it. And from that perspective, I get a response oftentimes within 10 minutes and it's almost like I see my, my phone and it's got these little love bubbles coming off of it because I'm getting these gorgeous like messages back from people. And I love that. I know it's an inanimate object and it might sound crazy, but it's something where I can feel the energy coming. I mean, I'm sure everybody can feel what a, what a, a pissed off email feels like, right? It's like your screen, it's like, it's like whew, all this stuff is coming at you. So so that's the part about, it, I think, as you say, the words, thoughts, and actions that we're, that we're responsible for, but it's still, when that emotion comes up, we still have to process it and allow it to be, Absolutely. and not just shove it away and shove it away or eat something or go watch something or do something. It's like, we need to sit with that. And that is part of that meditation process. These things bubble up to be, to be healed. And if it's the same stuff that you keep manifesting over and over and over and over again, the pattern is within you. So you need to realize the fact that, you know, I mean, I, I've had really negative experiences at, at the job that I've been at for a long time, but ultimately people would say, you need to quit. 
bottom line is that the, the common denominator is me. So wherever you go, there you go. If I go to some other job, I'm going to attract the same exact stuff because I haven't cleared it out of myself. So that's the most important part that people think, you know, oh, I'll just get a new boyfriend or I'll just get a new car. I'll get a new house. I'll get a new this, whatever. If you haven't cleared your stuff, it's not going to work. You're going to continue attracting the same exact thing every single time. So that's where this internal work of changing it from the inside out, allowing yourself to be the most radiant, beautiful version of yourself and, and highlighting the fact that yes, those scars are part of your journey and it is part of who you are, but embracing that and not, not shaming yourself because you, again, don't fit standards of this or that, whatever. We don't have to fit standards. We, we need to fit the standards of ourselves. We need to have our own high standards of who we are and hold ourselves accountable to that. And if I feel like if I'm in my heart space and I'm allowing myself to be loved and I'm allowing myself to, to love others, that is the most juicy, amazing life. And ultimately, all these opportunities of sharing and generosity and kindness have all manifested in the last year or so because it's, because it's being allowed. And, and everybody's coming on board for this beautiful experience because of the fact that they're feeling connected and then feeling connected and then they connect other people. And then it becomes this beautiful exponential thing where we can transform the planet through a kindness revolution. And that that's really my mission, but it has to start from within. And I'm still, I'm still a work in progress. Absolutely. Oh God, aren't we all? Uh, <laughs> but well, can we, can we dispel that right now? Can we, that's something I think is is a very common misunderstanding is that it's like uh, healing a broken leg that, you know, once you come to terms that, you know, you need to do some work and you start seeing and loving yourself, it's a continual process. But the process mm -hmm. is what you learn to love. There isn't just like this magic moment, like it's the end of the rom-com and then it's happily ever after and it's rainbows and unicorns. It's this, uh, life is colorful. It loves you too much not to provide color and texture. And, oh, for sure. and I, I think the what Barbie is describing here is, is be very beautifully is a process of showing up and being a role model to s be the change that you want to see in in society in your external world. So go out there and be loving, be caring, be compassionate, and you will receive that back because your experiences will mirror whatever you are putting out there. So if you're putting out all this uh, negativity or uh, spite or bitterness or anger, it's going to come right back at you. So it's, it's being aware of our own process and knowing what we want to have back. But we do need to take that first step. The responsibility is with us to take that first step in order to start getting that validation back, like Barbara was saying, we are we tend to live with uh, validation from our uh, through our uh, amygdala, uh, where we have this negative feedback loop, right? And we, our reticular activation uh, activating system keeps looking for uh, that whatever program you have running on your mind, it's going to be looking for validation for that. So if you have negativity running, it will look for validation in your external world that uh, uh, resonates with that negativity. Now, you can control your thoughts, not your emotions. So those emotions that do come up, they have to be allowed space. They have to feel safe to be, uh, exist within you and to escape out because that's what they want to do. But we, when, uh, when they do come up, we're very, very quick to push them down or swat them away or whatever it is, rather than allowing them to 
go through you because they want to escape. They want to escape out and just observe them, right? And just see them as being part of your who you are. I mean, we are emotional beings. We are not human doings. We are not human beings. We are human feelings, right? So it's it's that process of allowing uh, things to happen within you and, uh, to escape. Um, and I think that's something that we, we do uh, experience and learn in meditation and we can take with us into the daily life is to observe ourselves from our awareness. So rather than acting out from our emotions as they come up, you know, when we get triggered, rather than acting out from that emotion, we are then able to, from our awareness, observe, oh, this emotion is coming up within me. I wonder where that comes from. So in my process, I've kind of boiled down to the fact that all these triggers, there are underlying fears. And for each fear that we experience, there is a original sensitizing event. There is a core wounding. So when we are triggered, it's a beautiful moment to be able to observe that fear come up and talk to us and communicate with us because emotions are essentially it's, it's a way for our body to communicate with us what's going on right so once we can see that fear then we can ask ourselves okay when did i experience this fear the first time and then as i said before once we ask the mind a, a question it's compelled to give us an answer and then might not be right away, it might be a couple of days later, but we will get that feedback and we will get that uh, answer from the mind. And then we can go back and look at, okay, so it was from this moment. So I can remember very clearly when I was a kid, an adult was joking with me, gave me a, a coin and said, uh, now I come from a very conservative uh, family, a very conservative background. And back in the uh, 70s, uh, tax burden in Sweden was uh, world famous for being extremely high. Um, we had family friends that were paying 120% in tax because of the tax system, right? So this adult gave me this coin and said, now hold on to it very carefully because otherwise the government's going to come and take it away from you. Now that's a program that's existed in my mind all through these years like hold on to that for dear life and whatever you do don't pay any taxes right well pay as little tax as you can but working with that i you know of course that adult thought he was being funny right but to a child who's like five years old that's you know that's bible talk it's it's like it's law it's like etched in stone uh, so it becomes part of our system so i know that until you're about nine ten years old you don't actually understand the concept of individual thought so whatever thought you have as a child you think everybody else is having so if you have the thought i'm not enough you think that everybody else is having that thought as well that you're not enough or you're not lovable or whatever it may be. So that essentially becomes the core wounding. That becomes the programming that we then exist under. Uh, and that becomes part of what we need to heal within ourselves. Um, because when I started this process and people said, I would talk about things that come up and whatever. And they would say, oh yeah, that's something you need to heal. 
I was like, I need to heal. Okay, how do I do that? You know, how the heck do I do that? You know, I, I can sit there and I can observe this and I can allow it to be. And how do I do it? And nobody can answer. So for me, I developed this process, or, and you guys are all familiar with it, but it's the process of observing each experience with compassion. So looking at all the people, all the, uh, yeah, all the, the uh, accoutrements, as I call it, uh, that are part of that experience, all the permanent uh, things uh, with compassion and start looking at, okay, what are, my story is only one part of it. Who, what's happening for everybody else? Why have all these things come in? And not take things for granted, not assume anything about any, any of the impermanent, impermanent uh, things that are in the experience. Uh, then allow myself to accept that I had this experience and that's okay. And accept that everybody is, who's in the experience have their own stories, they have their own experiences, and they showed up to learn something about themselves too. So we're all uh, collaborators in this beautiful experience, even though it might be painful at the time. It is an opportunity to learn about ourselves, and that goes for every single person in it. And then go into forgiving yourself and others for whatever action or words or thoughts that were used. And I think it's oftentimes we're, it's much easier to forgive others. The, the last person that we forgive is ourselves um, because that is something we, we, we look at other, uh, it's almost like society says that we, uh, or we have this assumption that society says, oh, you can't forgive yourself. You need to suffer for this, right? So that process is so important. And uh, oftentimes we hear this, uh, for example, uh, rape victims and uh, people that have experienced this kind of trauma, they forget to forgive themselves and that becomes the last bit of it, right? And then the final part I use uh, is to really look for what was the, what's the lesson that I'm supposed to take from this and how can I take this experience with me into the, the present and the future and actually use it for something good. So I went through a trauma, I experienced something that was tough now, how, how can I use this? Because there is that gift in there that I need to bring with me, that I can bring with me. So am I writing the hero story or the victim story? Which story am I going to tell, right? So how, So knowing this process, are there elements of this, Carol, that you feel that you've used uh, yourself and how, how have you applied it in your life? How, how do you go about healing your core wounding? Oh, thank you very much. Very interesting question. And I was listening to you and your story and um, and prior to, to to what you just said, Barbie was having the conversation when where she was talking about the unconditional positive regard by uh, the con uh, concept introduced by uh, Carl Rogers. And of course, Christopher, you were talking a lot about compassion. And I, I feel that the compassion and that self-forgiveness, it's the the most important thing when it comes to clear or, or heal any core wounding and understanding that whether I work with a client or whether I work with myself, 
I need to clear out anything that is on my way. And I suppose for anyone that it's not on kind of psychotherapeutic journey might not necessarily understand how much effort it takes to become a psychotherapist because it's literally you're looking at all of your demons. You look at all of your vulnerabilities, weaknesses, anything that puzzles you, you look all your life from the birth to this very moment and this is ongoing process that you are doing it on a daily basis and you one of the things that it is super important to realize it's that I am never going to be a perfect individual I am never going to be or, or I, I'm working to, on that assumption that <sighs> I'm never going to be perfect. Like I'm a human being. I'm working, I'm, I'm living in that 3D world. You know, it's sometimes easy to lose that momentum or glitches happen, errors happen. I might experience mindless moment. I might do something that I regret. I'm human being. I accept that limitations of me being physical person, being interacting with world. So that's the first thing. The second thing that is very important for me is accepting to everything that is happening. Um, and any thoughts that are actually arising, because uh, I would like to come back to one of the points that you made, Christopher, that you said that you're very optimistic saying that we can control three things. And I think that we had this uh, conversation before because to me, you are very optimistic because you said we can control three things. I would say that we can control two things, actions and words, because we, ca to me, we cannot control our thoughts. The thoughts are arising and we can choose how we interact with those thoughts. But so this is action, like my interpretation, this is the action, the inter how we interact with those thoughts is my choice. Therefore, it's an action that I take. So that's my interpretation of choice so uh and this is again this is something that we were talking at the very beginning of this podcast that is great to have the conversation and agree to disagree with some minor elements great <laughs> <laughs> yes ab absolutely so yeah and coming to the back to that question so acceptance like everything that life throws at me i cannot change it it's already happened or i'm in that situation so asking the question like what can i do to have the best outcomes for myself and for any anyone else what can i do to contribute what what can i do to be of service so those those are the, the kind of processes and again whether i'm working with any someone or whether i'm working with myself is just that unconditional positive regard and coming back to rogers if i'm working with someone anyone and if that person might seem that might seem themselves as as a monster, to me these are the best monsters they can be. We all make mistakes. We all go through life making mistakes. You know, following uh, old patterns of behaviors, and we can punish ourselves for that. But if we replace that punishment with compassion and say, "I'm good enough anyway." I can do better and I can only strive to be better. And it's not about that end goal, but it's about the journey 
on a daily basis an improvement. And by the end of the day, I can just ask myself, what have I done today to become a better person? And what can I do tomorrow to become a better person? Then that journey and that self-compassion and unconditional positive regard for myself and for others, it becomes your habit and it becomes your second nature. You don't need to force it. So I suppose that is um, my healing process. Yeah, and I, so just to respond to what you were saying before about uh, um, uh, controlling your thoughts, I think it's very difficult to control your thoughts when it first starts yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you are controlled by your programming, right? And it, it's as you work on the core woundings and so forth, and that you work on the thought patterns or the patterns that you um, that you have, that you become more and more adept at controlling your thoughts or directing your thoughts. Uh, now the emotions that come up, you can't control, yeah. and it's the emotion. Oftentimes, when we when we aren't observing our, ourselves from our awareness, it's the emotions that come up that then has a thought attached to it that perpetuates the, uh, mm. the emotion and actually holds the the emotion in in our body and uh, we become attached to the emotion, then we, we do kind of interchange or we uh, mistake that uh, emotion for the thought. So it's the emotion that comes up, uh, when you observe that emotion, you can observe the thought that comes in with the emotion. So it might be a memory, it might be something else. Yes, you may not be able to control the thought when it comes in, but you can control the process of yeah. the perpetuation of that thought. So yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when I uh, have the emotion of feeling that I'm feeling lack or not feeling I have uh, uh, enough money or something, and that thought of that joke comes out, then I can, then I can decide, do I continue thinking along these lines or do I want to think in a different way? Can I think, hmm, you know what? That was a silly thing of that person to say. Uh, you know, I understand that it was meant as a joke and I forgive them for that. But also I've been running this program now for, you know, good 44 years. Uh, is it time for me to perhaps forgive myself and let that, uh, that process go and allow myself, allow myself to understand a different kind of program? Is there abundance out there? You know, it, am I able to receive money? And equally, why not be happy about, you know, if I'm paying a lot in tax, that means I'm making a lot of money as well, right? So it's changing that thought process about that limiting belief that we had. So yes, oftentimes that immediate thought is very challenging to uh, as it comes up because it's connecting with the emotion but it's recognizing that it is and then changing your thought pattern beyond that that's what you can control absolutely and uh, just to add to this like the, your emotions are actually your main forces in which your brain communicates with you yeah. the emotions are always comes first the thoughts are the only one thing that the only one way for your thoughts to appear in your consciousness is because they always are attached to emotions. Emotions are always comes first. Yeah, and it's how you how you deal with the 
the th or how you deliver the next thoughts mm. after the uh, emotion comes up, right? Absolutely. So, and it's and it is challenging. It's challenging to allow that emotion to exist within yourself because it is uncomfortable and it does hurt, right? Um, but it's also knowing that it it does add to our emotional intelligence. It allows us to build up that repertoire and that dictionary, if you like, of emotions. Uh, so we can go beyond the typical three emotions of happy, sad, and pissed off. You know, it's like, well, there are other emotions, you know, there is <laughs> joy, connection, there, you know, there's loads of them. Um, so it's, but we are so, when we're children, most of us anyway, we're told to stuff those emotions far down there and don't feel them because that's uncomfortable, right? So what are some of the ways that you work with the, with this process, Glenn? Well, to go back to a couple of things that were said was looking back at your past, right? And having compassion and, and, and having compassion for your journey. For me, it really was letting go of that attitude that, you know, my childhood or my trauma um, was a scar on me that I shouldn't have got. And if I wouldn't have got that, then I would have had this totally other life. And I think society and fairy tales and a multitude of other uh, forms of media perpetuate that, that, you know, somebody special born and the stars aligned and there was like a meteor and some sort of ET thing. And this person was blessed and touched his finger, which usually isn't something you recommend with strangers. But anyway, <laughs> digress you know for me it really came down to just accepting what what happened is what happened and then you know when i started really dismantling my belief system coming out of catholicism stuff you know and realizing that we do have a part in when we arrive and who we arrive to and and basically knowing start to finish what the journey is going to be and we're like yep i'm buying that ticket for that show and here you go you're welcome and that that was one of those realizations that took me to my knees and i finally um wrestled it and said okay if that's the deal then i the only reason i would have done this to myself is because the win has to be equally as good as the trial and i'm the type of person that would do that to myself and so and so then for me it just became just flipping that on its head to again like everyone sharing a perspective that served me again, nobody tells you that changing those things takes courage. And that courage comes for me in these incremental moments and like the more feet on the ground, rubber meets the road method is in modifying your self-talk, just being aware of it and being objective about it. Where is that thought coming from? Who would be telling me that? Like I heard some thoughts from the foster care system, like literally verbatim, and that person is dead. And here I am, decades later, keeping that person's words alive in my own life. Mm. And that I was like, wow. And so then I started going through this ceremonial purging of just letting go. Um, and I just figured this is the most efficient way to do this. And I'm tired of carrying this around. So every time it would pop up and I'd get that moment of, of freezing and wanting to be like bargaining. Nope. Oh, why did I what? No, stop. <sighs> it's it's yeah, and observe yourself when that comes up, right? Yeah, and then lean into for, where I was going to finish with that was lean into forgiveness, which is another thing that you really 
camp out on. And, and I use the six phase meditation style of forgiveness um, from Vishen Lakhiani at Mind Valley, and it's been effective for me. But like Carol said, find what works for you, find what resonates with you, learn what resonates with you. And that's how you get to love the journey. Yeah, I mean, personal development is certainly not uh, one trick pony, right? It's, it's a holistic approach, we have to approach it from, you know, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, uh, whatever spiritual means to you, uh, and try everything. Literally, <laughs> you have to try everything. And uh, it's the, the little steps that are going to get you the, uh, uh, the that's going to win you the race. And fact of the matter is completing the race is winning the race because you're only racing yourself, right? So I tend to, one of the processes I use as well is um, from the book, uh, The Four Agreements. And it is when I approach situations or people or people approach me, I really try to use, and I make these agreements with me uh, myself every single day is to not to take anything personally, not assume anything about anybody else, use my words impeccably, and also to always do my best. Now, the beauty of that is if someone is talking uh, harshly to me or telling me off or whatever, I don't know what their story is. I don't. I have no clue how what wounding they have. I know they have wounding, and I understand that if they are expressing themselves less than compassionately, that means that that is a reflection of the core wounding. So therefore, I can then say, well, you know what, I know there is a child, a little child behind there, that is afraid. So I, uh, that's why I have compassion for, I don't need to have compassion for the uh, harsh attitudes of the adult, but I can have compassion and I can connect with the child behind, right. And therefore, I don't need to take it personally either because it's, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It's nothing to do about me. It's all about their own process and their own core wounding, right? Now, doing our best, my best today is going to be very different from my best tomorrow. I might have a really crappy day tomorrow, and so my best is going to be very different from today. Uh, I'm going to learn something new every single day, so perhaps my best is going to be a little bit better tomorrow, but always doing my best is going to be in comparison or in, in judgment of itself. Uh, in, uh, uh, it's going to be benchmarked against itself. Uh, and as long as I carry myself with, uh, I speak uh, impeccably with compassion and with uh, seeking to connect and build a bridge as opposed to divide, then I will succeed every single time. So Barbie, I know you apply some of these uh, functions into your life as well, but are there any other um, aspects that you try to incorporate into your life to approach every single or to resource yourself for every single uh, ex experience that you have? Well, I think one of the things that is important too, though, is the part about projections. I think disentangling yourself energetically from other things that were previously triggered from other people and then seeing that basically you've now applied it to another person 
that's something of where I know I've had lots of projections that have come my way and then I've done projections on other people as well. And I think that's the part about going back to those core wounds of where you see the kind of stuff of where, you know, I, I've had, you know, where that person isn't talking to you anymore. They're six years old talking to their mom or they're talking to this person, they're talking to that. But when you have the ability to be able to kind of like figure that out, that's where, you know, Carol, you were talking about going back into your past. You're looking at that original sensitizing event or what it is or what does this remind me of or what does it do? A lot of times, you know, the people that you have who are your bosses and stuff like that, they oftentimes rep represent parental figures and they come in and they have the same style as a as a strict parent or, you know, a, a, a you know, mother or father or grandfather. They have different aspects of them that'll come in and you have to work your process with them, even though you're not family with them, you still have to work your process with them because they have a lot of those similar characteristics. And it's like, why did you attract it? Obviously, because you wanted to work on that pattern. And I think that the intentionality of that too is, is really, really important in the sense of where you set the intention each time to be able to give yourself the opportunity to step into this space of where it's like, I'm going to intentionally go and, and, and go deep, deeper dive into my, my life as the things that I've done in the past, because when you know better, you do better. It's like the whole thing of where it's like a pattern is done where you're not triggered any longer because that same situation has kind of come up. And it's kind of like the same thing in the past of where, you know, I'd have an ex-boyfriend who'd want to come back into my life. And it's like, nope, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I know what channel that is. And I don't need to go there any longer and love and like, go and do your thing. But I don't need to attach myself to that any longer. So it's the kind of thing of where it's like, you know, but a lot of people will go back because they're like, oh, you know, they, they focus on some of these other things instead of knowing that, that that's that's you've moved on from that pattern. And now you're attracting something way, way better because you're not going back to that old pattern. So that's the thing of where I think a lot of people, the scrutiny of going back into your life is definitely not easy because you have to look at the places where you weren't the best version of yourself. You weren't a necessarily a good person. You need to look at where you were a good person. And that's the part about pricing yourself. I mean, I do an identity shifting uh you know, like workshops sometimes with different people. And it's like going back to that that child that you were in that one age where you felt you were really awkward and you were really judgmental of yourself and going back and just showering that that child with love and saying, you know what, wow, look at you, you did this and you know, you did that. And wow, look at this, you did this, even though all this stuff was happening around you and your parents were getting a divorce or this happened or your dad died or whatever, look what you did. And you just, it's that clapping for people. And you know, at the beginning of this whole experience, at least with being in premium coaching with Mind Valley last year, in my meditations, I used to have this vortex and I still have it and I'm still anticipating it's going to happen sometime in 2022. But I imagine all the people that came together, all the Mind Valley people that came together, all the people in the premium coaching, and we were all just in this cool place out on this like patio deck where there was like a pool, an infinity pool, we're in some tropical location. Everyone has a glass of champagne in their in their hands. All their dreams have come true. And we're like, yes, look at us. Oh my God, look at you. You did it, you did it, you did it, you did it. Look at you, look at you, look at you. Look. It's just this whole like, everybody's just prizing each other and they're just saying, wow, 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 wow. You, We all did it. Because I think that comes back to also this whole thing about what Glenn was talking about with the universe is benevolent. If we make that one paradigm shift and that reticular activated system is starting to look for evidence that there's love and love's coming to you and you are loved and you are wanted and you're not rejected and you are accepted and you are you are all those different things 
you will start to then find the evidence because you've shifted your perspective into the different place rather than the negative because that's the default for the human we had to look for the you know saber-toothed tiger that was in the bushes and we needed to see that and the alligators that glenn was talking about by the same token that's but there's beautiful pristine water in that oasis there's gorgeous you know shade where you can go you know have a nice cool drink there's all that other stuff too but it's like you know it's it's kind of like re reframing reprogramming redirecting those thoughts of saying like okay yes i hear you and thank you for telling me that this will keep me safe and this will keep me small but that we're here there's all these other opportunities but i do have to have that courage i do need to open up my heart space i do need to be vulnerable but the prize and the the reward of being that person and allowing yourself to be that open is that the world opens up to you. It completely opens up to you in a way that you've never, ever seen it before. And that was something that when I was talking to Naveen Jain, you know, for my interview with him, he was talking about that too. The world is a benevolent place. We're living in the best environment historically that we've ever had on the world. There's still problems, but there are so many people, the best people are coming together to solve those together. So we've got all these different amazing things of where it's like when you have this vision that's beautiful and it's large and it and it's 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 open, but but it comes from your true transformation that comes from within, you magnetize all these beautiful things. And that's stepping into an abundance mindset, thinking that there's no limit. That's why for me, I think of myself like, you know, there's no limit amount of love. It's like if if I my professor at USM used to say all the time, you know. If you, if you want to get more love, you need to give more love. And then, you, you know, you want to just give more love and then just give more love and then give more love and give more love. And to me, that's words of affirmation. That's positivity. That's me basically doing that on a regular basis because I know I can't, I, I'm not going to run out of those. But by the same token, the caveat is that they do have to be authentic. They have to be genuine. They can't just be like, you know, oh, you look so pretty today. And then the person's like, you know, just kind of, you know, blah on the couch, because then when they really do look attractive, then what are you going to say then, right? Because you've already used all the hyperboles. And so I don't believe in the participation trophy and everybody gets, you know, like, you know, there's, there's none of that. It, it's still, it, it's an authenticity of the fact that it's like, but it's still, we can go out of our way. It's unfamiliar, but we can go out of our way to start to look for the good in people and, and wanting to, to mention it to them. And if we think it in our head and go, wow, I like that purse or whatever else, I can just say to a stranger in an elevator, Hey, I like your purse. That's really cool. It might have been, you know, their dad could have just died. Their 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 family could have just fallen apart. You have no idea what kind of impact that you have on people's lives. And that's been something that's been really, really amazing to me in, in the work that I've done for the last couple of decades is that people come back to, to me, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later and they say, because of blah, 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 that, you know, you talked about, I'm doing such and such. And it just, it stuck with me. And so it's like my giving from my heart means that those people also take a little piece of my heart with them wherever they go. And then if they're going out and doing amazing things in the world, that means that that's a legacy that I'm leaving on this planet because I didn't have children. So for me, my legacy is my loving. My loving is my legacy here on this planet. And it is the most valuable thing that I have to give to myself and to others. And loving is infinite. There is, it is an abundance. So if you give a piece of your heart, your heart is infinite, right? So it's it's not like you you have 245 pieces of uh, heart to give out, and that's it, right? Right. So yeah, and uh, yeah, showing up and being that role model then perpetuates that positive aspect as well, because. As you, you can all see, Barbie is very excited about everything she does. And she shares that excitement and that love to everybody. And it just perpetuates it out. Uh, it's like the uh, the rings on the water from a pebble, right? So wh whatever we can do for ourselves then becomes something we do for everybody else. It's, 
you know, if you want to talk about the collective consciousness or whatever, uh, it's your contribution. In Buddhism, you're talk that's what they meditate on. They don't meditate on uh, themselves. They meditate on what they can contribute into humanity, right? And that is part of uh, what we were talking about before with uh, uh, showing up and being of service, right? Can I share um, one more thing? Sure. I'd also like just to add to in the sense of where I also really, really firmly believe that encouragement and enthusiasm are the antidotes to criticism and fear. So yeah. I think when you're enthusiastic and you encourage people on their path of like, you know, what you were saying, Glenn, about you just kind of pat yourself on the back and say, damn, you know, you you made it through this, and you made it through that and good for you. And then you have people around you that are affirming that too. It gives you that extra energy to be able to get to that next level because you know that you're not doing it all by yourself and that you have that extra, extra space. And I think that this is the part of the thing of where stepping into this space, it just becomes this beautiful community. And then everybody has an opportunity to be able to share a little piece of that as well. And we're, we're not, I think that's that's the part too, where because of all this acculturation and all this conditioning in different places, we're also a global society. And one of the things that, you know, we're moving into a more global society, but by the same token, a lot of those core wounds come from the original places that we come from, even though we're coming together internationally, there's still a lot of things that are not necessarily, they're not fitting together because in this culture, and especially when people get married, you know, different religions or different things. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like they have to worry about how they're going to do that. And before it wasn't an issue, but now they have children. So now how are we going to raise them? Are we going to raise them like this? Are we going to raise them like that? So there's all these other things too. But I think, ultimately in the next you know few years here it would be really beautiful if we had all these beautiful conversations about what does it mean to be a global citizen how can we kind of drop some of those limited beliefs that come from some of the old outdated modes of thinking that allow us to do because again you know and i know that this concept of universal values is to me so so important in my message and it's been something i've brought into every single interview of honesty and integrity and loyalty and 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 you know the, all those different kinds of think generosity and kindness if we have all those different pieces, every single culture understands a smile, every mm -hmm. single one. That is a universal language. So that's right there, the very first thing that tells you whether or not it's foe or friend, right? <laughs> it's a smile on somebody's yeah. face. So or that's- human touch, you know. Exactly, touch, you know. exactly. And I mean, now with the pandemic, we haven't been able to, you know, hug or give handshakes and that kind of stuff, we do the, the elbow bump, but it's still, you know, from that perspective, it's still stepping into that space of where everybody has their own role to, to play everybody has their part everybody is a unique human being that has their own soul print and their own journey but by the same token the more people that do this kind of work and the more people like you know get rid of their trauma and the more people that are able to kind of put expunge it out of their their psyches we become these activated people and we can step in our golden avatar we can step into the very best versions of ourselves that we never ever thought were possible because it's like the whole ugly duckling story you know the ugly duckling wasn't with his own people he was technically a swan so he needed to go find the other swans so go find your swans you know like here we're all all swans who've had to come and find you know our own our own tribes and things like that and it's a very important thing to do yeah, I, we can certainly uh, continue this discussion for many hours to come. There are all these little pathways we can uh, discuss, and hopefully we can, uh, uh, I'm going to set the intention now that we're going to uh, have further discussions uh, in this group, and uh, if you're all up for it, so I appreciate it. But uh, I would like to, if I may, and I'm going to put you all on the spot a little bit here because I didn't prepare you for it, but uh, give me a... Uh, one book and a way for someone to get started on the journey. 
and I'm going to start out with uh, the four agreements. Uh, it's definitely Don Luis, uh, can't remember his last name, but uh, uh, the four agreements, is it fine? And start working with uh, the, the, those aspects, the compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, and gratitude. Uh, those are the, the key aspects for me. So, Carol. I am going to go with, well, we were talking a lot about compassion today and gratitude, and I suppose there is no more powerful book that I've ever read on, on those matters and, and how compassion and forgiveness can sustain happy and quality life after suffering, suffering trauma and facing trauma. So my recommendation is A Man Searching for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Okay. And what, what, is there a, a piece of wisdom that you can impart for someone to start the process of uh, going down this journey or down this path? <laughs> this book is so many, every single uh, paragraph and sentence is the pearls of wisdom. But, um, and again, this is something that we were talking we were talking about here today. People behave in the way they behave often because they are sleepwalking through life. If someone is hurt people hurt people. If someone is hurting you, they have core wounding. If we know if we are awake and we if we can observe ourselves from positions of our awareness, it's our responsibility to face the harm with compassion. If we're gonna face harm with harm, then the, this, this is gonna just, per, per, uh, frog in the throat, sorry. That is gonna just make, yes, this is the word that I was going for, I, I apologize. I can't, no, can't no yeah. Um, if, we, if we're gonna meet that with compassion, well, it's just kind of to finish it off. If, if you think about our brains and how brain interacts with words, brain is basically the computer that lives in a empty, dark cage. And all of the emotions, everything that appears and how we interact with words, it's happening here inside your brain, inside the, the dark cage. If you meet everything with fear, that's the poison that goes through all your body. If you focus on love, on compassion, on gratitude, and if you meet world with those uh, those values, those feelings, and those those emotions, this becomes your world. Very sage words. Thank you, Carl. Glad Thank you. Wow, such great suggestions. Uh, I've read both of those books as well. Uh, for me, I would have to say my journey, and I, I lean back on my journal, was a parallel journey between The Untethered Soul by uh, Michael A. Singer and um, Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakhiani. And for me, the fundamental thing that I really needed from both of those books to start my journey was that I am not my thoughts. And and from there, in, in The Untethered Soul, in one of the chapters, he Michael just lays it out straight. Guess what? The price of freedom is pain. And guess what? Pain is just energy. And you process all kinds of energy all the time. You just don't make such a big deal out of it when when you are and until it's pain because we're we're conditioned to think, oh no, this is bad. Something's wrong. 
And for me, it was just really recognizing that that's the truth and figuring this is the most efficient way through this. And with compassion and forgiveness, I just really started leaning into that. And, and it took a lot of courage, but it is so worth it. It's so worth it. Excellent. Yeah. And as, as a matter of fact, fear and excitement, the brain doesn't know the difference. It's the way you perceive it. Right. Barbie, what do you, uh, what do you suggest? I would say for an entry point for people who haven't really delved into this kind of work, I'd say Big Magic from Elizabeth Gilbert would be a really good book because that one happens to have that kind of ideology of like the fact that the world is this magical place and that you can start to create these magical moments like step by step and just kind of stepping into your into your greatness from that. But then for the people that are a little bit more advanced and definitely the entrepreneurs um, to tag on to what Glenn was talking about, Buddha and the Badass from Vishen Lakhiani, I think was an amazing book because it talks about the spiritual with the with the business and how you can be able to do that. And one of the things that, especially when I interviewed Naveen Jain, I was talking to him about the fact that I think he's, you know, he's a mystic. He, he's Mr. Businessman, but that man is a mystic. He, he just literally, he exudes this, this spiritual confidence in a way that he's just living his life doing this, but he's like <laughs> doing, you know, he just announced that they've got an AI thing for detecting cancer that just got approved by the FDA three days ago. And he's trying to eliminate chronic illnesses because his father died of cancer and he watched him go through pain. So it's like he transformed his own story by going through that where he's going to help, you know, billions of people and he has robots on the moon. And I mean, it's the kind of stuff of where you feel like you're talking about you know, sci-fi novel, but this is his life, you know what I mean? And then he does the X prize and donates millions of dollars with his wife for foundations all over the world. So you're just like, you know, those are the kind of things where to me, it's like, I think that's, that's an important part. And the other part too, is that pick aspirational role models, pick aspirational people who have literally done things that are technically considered to be almost impossible and go read about their stories. Because the more things that you see about that, I mean, Technically, me being here right here with you guys right now, it's technically an impossible story. But by the same token, instead of, you know, looking at us and saying like, oh, who are these people la, 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 with the negative attitude instead say, wow, you know what? I want some of that. I want some. Ooh, if they did it, I can do it. And, you know, and we're we're not, you know, 22 years old, fresh out of college. So that's the part of stuff, too, where it's like this beautiful opportunity to again show up as role models and i know giovanni marcico talks about that a lot too it's like it's not bragging when you're giving other people the opportunity to see what you've accomplished so that they can see whether that they can replicate it or do better and that's something too even with all this kind of stuff as well no matter how much prizing you're doing of people etc cetera, etc cetera, you are not their source you are never ever their source of happiness you are the conduit and the vehicle and the channel to be able to bring that forward but ultimately that alignment within themselves is the most important thing they align to themselves and whatever, you know, higher being or whatever they think is the most important thing. But by the time they're aligned and congruent human beings, they walk around and they do amazing things. But you're never the guru. You're never the person that they're, you know, that is the source of their stuff. And that's the part too. And one last thing I want to say just about all this stuff with core wounding that I think is really important. And I heard it a long time ago and it resonated with me a lot. The people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And that we don't know about that. And I know for you, Christopher, you talk about impermanence and things like that. But by the same token, it's like there are certain people that are going to be a reason and certain people are going to be a season and certain people that are going to be a part of your life for a lifetime. And that's the part about also being able to sift through that to be able to see which one of those things are you are you enabling yourself to become the best version of yourself? Because surround yourself with people who want to help you grow and build and make you the best you that you can be because they'll make you the best you and then you make them the best you and then you're all the best you and you're all vibrating out the same frequency and that's all good. 
Absolutely. And uh, I, th I think the, the main impermanent aspect of our experiences is ourselves, our body. Our physical body is the uh, ultimate impermanence uh, because it's not going to last forever, right? That's a lifetime. Yeah, that's a lifetime. So <laughs> thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you to, to you three and uh, the audience out there for showing up and uh, you guys being so beautiful that you are. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, Barbie will allow us to have a few more of these conversations. I know she will. <laughs> you're going to show and you're going to show. And you're going to show. And uh, for anybody listening out there, uh, you know, perhaps uh, next year, if you take the step now, you might be able to sit on this panel. So dream and or if you see that as a dream, but, you know, set the intention to become the best version of yourself and show up in uh, in your tribe in your society within wherever you can as the best version of yourself as a role model so thank you and uh, have a good one take care well, i hope you found that insightful and beneficial to your own journey i've always found that uh, hearing many different uh, perspectives on the same topic is always useful to uh, find nuggets from each that might apply to my own experiences and journey and uh, how I might be able to apply that to solving my own issues and my own challenges. And as I point out to all my clients, your guru exists within you. So whatever I say, whatever anybody else says, it is up to you to find what works for you and what doesn't work for you and apply it uh, into your life as you see appropriate. So if any of this did resonate with you and you would like to work on the tools to resource yourself to bring forth more joy and passion in your life, then uh, perhaps working with us at the Alchemy Experience might be a good idea. So if you feel that you'd like to take advantage of our half an hour free consultation, then please visit our website at thealchemyexperience.co.uk. And there you can book half an hour free consultation with us. And we can explore further how we might be able to help you. I appreciate you joining us for this discussion and for investing the time in yourself to further explore how you can show up in your life as the best role model and the best version of yourself that you can. I hope to see you at our coaching workshops and also to see you at the next episode of uh, the Alchemy Experience podcast. Until then, take care. <laughs>